we are in the midst of a series called Above All. Uh, we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, where, where Paul's writing to encourage, support, and increase the health of the church and as they let Jesus be above all in their lives. Now, we have a graphic for this, uh, and it's kind of a, is a representation for our entire series. So if you look up on the screen, there's a picture of the world. Now, now that world represents every area of our lives. This includes our time, it includes our thoughts and our actions, it includes our motives, and it includes our very identity. And Paul is writing so that the Colossian church, both as individuals within the church and all of them as a whole group, would have a growing identity in Jesus, an identity that is, above all, in every area of their life. So, as we walk through this letter together, this is the exact same desire that God has for us. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Ken led us through Colossians 1, 3 through 8. And there we saw Paul had started his letter to the Colossians, sharing his thankfulness to God for what was happening in the church. And we also saw Paul model intentional encouragement towards them, based on the reputation that that church was developing. See, the Colossian church had become known as a church of faith and of love. And as we continue on in Colossians 1, 9 through 14, Paul's going to build on that and take it another step further. So we're going to start this morning, and we're going to start by looking at what Paul says in verse 9. And if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, I would encourage you to turn there and as we look at this together. Um, it's also going to be up on the screen, and you can follow along there. And this morning, we're going to be reading from the NIV translation. Now, here's what it says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you, and that's a plural you, to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, as I was preparing for this morning and kind of digging through different resources, I started to notice that there's a, there's a trend when it comes to looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, one trend is to focus on how Paul models what an identity in Christ looks like and then use that as a model for what our own lives should look like today. Now, the other trend is to look at Paul's and ultimately God's mandates for individuals and the church as a whole, and apply that to our individual lives and our collective life as a church. Now, as we're walking through this series, and this morning's message, guess what? We're doing both. 
So first, we're going to start out today by, by looking at Paul as a model whose identity, uh, as someone whose identity is above all rooted in Christ. And, and then we're going to look at the mandates of Paul for the Colossian church and apply them to us as GREFC, as individuals and as a group, so that GREFC is above all rooted in Christ. So let's start by looking at how Paul models an identity where Jesus is above all. Okay, so we're going to start by going back and looking at verse 9 again. And and notice there's a highlighted piece there. Uh, I, I want to just reread that quickly. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, here's a quick Bible reading tip. Um, if when you start reading, the very first sentence that you, come, that you start with begins with something like, for this reason, or, or maybe a therefore, or a and so, like, or, or maybe it's something similar, it is really, 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 really important to read the paragraph right before it. And here's why. Because when you're reading, what you're reading is built on the thoughts and the key points that were just mentioned. So in this case, Paul has the Colossians' reputation in mind of being a church of faith and of love. So if we were to keep that in mind, we could read the first part of verse 9 a little bit like this. Because we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ... And of the love that you have for all the saints, and saints understand that those are other people who believe in and love Jesus. So because of your faith and love, from the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, when you read it like that, there's probably one of two thoughts, or maybe both, that come to mind right away, right? Now, depending on who you are and kind of your personality, it's going to shape which of these two came to mind first? Now, here's the first one. This is going to tell you a little bit about me. Here's the first one that came to mind for me. It's, what's wrong? Like, see, it sounds a little bit like this. Paul, you heard about our reputation of faith and of love as a church, and you haven't stopped praying for us? Like, clearly, there's, there's something that we're missing, so, so what is it? Now, now, here's the other thoughts. It sounds a little bit like this. Wow, this guy cares about us, right? I mean, I mean, he's heard about us and he's excited. Like, this is crazy. He's even thanking God and praying for a reputation as a church of faith and love to keep growing. Now, as we read on in Paul's letter, the reality of Paul's motives in writing to the Colossians is actually both. See, Paul is cheering on the church for their reputation and thanking God for the work in and through them that is taking place. And at the same time, Paul is aware of barriers that will hold them back and hurt them as a church, even with their reputation of being a church of faith and of love. But here's the deal. Paul hasn't personally met any of these people. So, even before we, we start wrestling with that, we have to really ask this question. Why is Paul praying like this for a church that he hasn't even met? Now, here's, here's both the answer, and, and if you're following along in the notes, this is going to be the first set of your blanks. 
When our identity in Christ grows, our scope for who to disciple grows. Now, when we read through the New Testament and we read something like the book of Acts or maybe one of Paul's letters to the churches, it's pretty clear that Paul has a wide scope when it comes to who he is looking to help take an intentional step spiritually towards Jesus. Now, if we were to jump into Acts, and I've got to mention here, Acts 26, 28, and 29 is one example. Um, so here's what's happening there. Paul is giving an account of why he is in prison. He's in prison, and he's giving this account before King Agrippa. And what he's doing is he's actively explaining the hope that he has in Jesus. In one sense, his identity in Christ is on trial. And as Paul is going through this conversation and sharing his identity in Christ with King Agrippa, it comes to a key moment in the whole conversation. And this is what takes place right as Paul is turning to King Agrippa and saying, what do you believe? Here's what King Agrippa says. He says this. He says, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. See, Paul's scope included everyone who was hearing him share about his identity in Christ. And it was, went all the way from like King Agrippa, like the top dog in the whole situation, to literally everyone who was there in the midst of his trial. But, but notice Paul's aim for them, right? That they may become what I am, except for the chains. Now, we're going to look at that more in a bit, but, but here's what I have to mention. Don't forget Paul's scope also included the Colossians. See, Paul is talking before King Agrippa, somebody who hasn't yet come into a relationship with Jesus, but he's also talking about a church who has. In fact, they have a reputation that is pretty outstanding. And it's one that we could even look at today and say, dude, that church, they're hitting it out of the park. That is a place of faith and love. See, Paul's scope of discipleship included that church. He was cheering them on. He was praying for them. And ultimately, he wanted them to continue to move to spiritual maturity in their individual lives, but also to spiritual health as a church. He wanted them to keep going. And he was so passionate about this that it was a regular part of his prayer life. And that included churches and people that he had never even met. Now, I've got to ask a question here. What about us? How wide is our scope? And is our scope widening? Now, see, one of the joys that I get as, as being the associate pastor of discipleship here is that I get to work with community groups and DNA groups here in the church. So I get to see some of these things happening firsthand in people's lives, right? So here's, here's kind of what happens. And I'm going to speak kind of generic because it happens in multiple different people's lives. So as the Holy Spirit is working, he starts to widen people's scope of who to disciple. 
Now, let me explain. See, we've gotten to know people who have begun attending a community group because, really, they were invited by a persistent leader. Somebody kept inviting them and kept inviting them and kept inviting them. And maybe it was like the 50th time and they started to jump in. And these people, as they come into that community, they started to let down their walls with those people who are in the group. And the group moves to a place where they start to become friends who check in with each other. And this is where they're even checking in with each other outside of the group time. And it's not just kind of this generic friendliness or the kind of Minnesota nice that we have out here, but it's a growing bond where they're walking through the good times and the bad times together. See, these are the first people that they turn to when an emergency comes up. And they're also the first people that they call when something big happens that they want to celebrate. So as that bond is growing, as a group, this Holy Spirit creates a hunger in them to dig into God's Word together and form DNA groups. And DNA is actually an acronym here that we have. It stands for Discipling, Nurturing, and Accountability. See, their scope has already widened from themselves to each other as a group. And where they care for the growth that is happening in one another's lives and their walk towards Jesus. But see, something else starts to happen. The Holy Spirit keeps stirring the group and it widens their scope even further. And they begin to consider how can they bless and become, become disciples in their everyday web of relationships. See, this, and the result of their scope widening is this. It's been changed lives. It's been changed workplaces and families and even open doors towards change in an entire community as each individual and each group grows in their identity in Christ where there is growing faith and love. So the question is, what about us? How wide is our scope? Is our scope widening? If it is, celebrate it. Because that is something that God is calling us to, and we can press into the joy in that. See, see, Paul has a wide scope that included everyone he met, regardless of whether they had a relationship with Jesus, or, or maybe they had just crossed the line and they were a spiritual baby, or, or maybe they were a young man or young woman in the faith. And understand, it also included the spiritual mothers and fathers, Paul's scope included every single step along the way. And with that scope, with that wide scope, there was also an aim. As we, so as we read on in Colossians 1.9, Paul is praying specifically for this. And there, there's another slide for this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. See, for Paul, his identity in Christ was birthing in him a deep faith in Jesus and a love towards others that fueled a singular vision in his life that people would grow spiritually in their relationship with Jesus. See, he wants the Colossians to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every day. So what Paul's overarching prayer is, 
He's praying for spiritual transformation and growth. Now, here's a second application point for your notes here. When our identity in Christ grows, spiritual growth becomes our priority. And as we read further, Paul's prayer goes on, and he actually gets super specific about the ways that he is praying for the Colossians to grow. And because of this, we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on this point so that we can look at those specifics that Paul is praying for. But before we get there, it's important that we pause and ask ourselves a question, and ask ourselves actually a few questions. And I have to say ourselves, because we all need to keep coming back to questions like this as a kind of check-in on where our own hearts are at with Jesus. And understand, I am not exempt from this. This, this includes me. So, so here's some of the questions, right? How important is spiritual growth in my life? Now, if you're a parent here, and you were to ask your kids, how important is spiritual growth in your life? Would their answer agree with yours? Or would it be different? If so, why? Now, now here's another, another layer to think about. And this is especially for those with families or spiritual children. How, in sport, how important is spiritual growth to your family as a whole? If you're a parent or a spiritual parent, do your kids see spiritual growth personally as important in their own lives? And here's a final layer. How often do we think about, pray for, and encourage the spiritual growth of others, both as individuals and as a church as a whole? Now, understand the point of asking these questions of ourselves is not to make us feel guilty, but it's to remind us of the priority of growing in our identity in Christ, which as that identity grows, it builds a conviction, a passion, and a priority in our lives that Jesus be above all in every area of our life. So let's keep going with Paul's prayer, because as we do, we actually get a sense of what he prioritizes as part of spiritual growth for the Colossian church. And guess what? We, we get to see how that can set our own aims as individuals and as GREFC as a whole. So in the second part of verse 9, Paul's prayer is that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. See, Paul's thinking about the spiritual health of the Colossian church, even with its reputation of faith and love. And what, he's, what his ongoing, ongoing prayer is that they would be growing in the knowledge of God's will. See, while the Colossian church had faith in Jesus and a growing love towards each other, there is still a danger for them as individuals and as, as a group as a whole. And here's the, here's the danger, here's the barrier. They were hurting when it came to spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, see, they had wisdom, but because it wasn't flowing from the wisdom that God was providing, they were actually aiming for the wrong targets. And to put it another way, they had aims for their lives. 
And they could even say that those aims included spiritual growth and maturity. But Paul's concern is that their aims might be rooted in the wrong identity. Here's the next application for your notes. When Christ is our identity, God's will is our aim. Now, think about it like this. What happens when a plane is one degree off course? Now, some of you may know this, but I didn't, so I had to look it up, right? Here's what I found. For every mile a plane travels one degree off, it ends up 92 feet from its landing spot. Now, some of you are like crunching the numbers in your head. Uh, for me, uh, here's, here's what I had, to, I had to translate this. This means for every 60 miles that a plane flies, it's one mile off target. Now, let's apply this to our walk with God. What if our lives are off by one degree because of self-wisdom and self-understanding? Instead of being about spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And understand, because we're human, this happens. It actually it happens a lot. But do we continue to come back to God for wisdom and understanding, seeking his will for our lives? Do we allow him to continually redirect our course and our aim? See, Paul's prayer is that God would fill the Colossians with spiritual wisdom and understanding that will keep them aimed at God's will. Now, here's, here's where it gets difficult, right? When it comes to God's will, it's really easy to go down one of two paths. The first is trying to go down the path of finding God's specific will and desire for every single circumstance in life. And when we go down this path, we often end up fearful and paralyzed when it comes to making decisions until we, found, like, we have a feeling that we found God's absolute perfect will for every instance, like, this is a 100% guarantee that this is God's will. This is, this is totally where I'm going. But this actually isn't what Paul has in sight here. Paul is praying for a deep and rich knowledge of God's heart and desires. It's one that comes out of a close relationship with God, which is deeply rooted in the Bible, and gives us a picture of God's will and heart for all of life. And when it comes to... When it, com it comes from getting to know who God is and what he's really like. And we get to understand the overall will of God and recognize what's really in line with his heart and what, what might be off. But, but think about it like this. Like, this is the same thing as a kid could tell the difference between what's in line with his parents' desires and what's not. And that's born out of a relationship. Yet, yet the other path and the other reaction is that we swing back too far the other way. And this is why Paul recognizes the importance of spiritual wisdom and understanding when it comes to God's will. See, pursuing God's will in hearts does include wisdom and understanding. In other words, it takes intentionality and purposefulness. It's more than just saying something like this. I'm just going to try to follow God's will and everything will work out. See, it includes using wisdom and discernment, not only to really recognize God's will, but also to know how to live in light of it. And Paul's praying for that. See, we think, we plan, we are intentional, and we set aims and goals for what to shoot for. 
The question is, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to shape the use and application of that wisdom, or is our wisdom and understanding coming from someone or somewhere else? In other words, as we travel through life, are we on course, or have we gotten off by a few degrees? See, for us as individuals, this means that we have to grow in the knowledge of God's will for our lives. Seeing our our lives with spiritual wisdom and understanding and regularly checking our path, the path of our lives, against the course that God has set for us. And as we grow in this in our lives, we also can be given opportunities to walk with others in love and community where we can help them check their own path against God, what God may have set for them. And here's what's cool. Like, doing this can truly shape the course of somebody's life, both in realigning them when they've gotten off course, but also encouraging them and pointing them to a specific purpose, maybe a gifting that God has given them, or a life direction that God is calling them to be. And I will tell you, Uh, God has put multiple people in my life, both from when teenage years, college, young adult, there have been people who have stepped into my life like that and have said, you know what, this is what I see God doing in your life. Maybe you should pay attention. And for me, when I get that encouragement, it's like something started to click. I'm like, this is who God made me to be. This is where God is setting me on a direction. And that can change a life and that can ignite a passion that will kind of burn through the course of their life with excitement. And we actually get to have an opportunity living that as we walk with other people on their path with God. See, understand, this applies to us as a church. See, it's easy to forget God's aim for, aims for us as a church, So we, as a church, need to regularly check in using spiritual wisdom and understanding to check the course of GREFC. Now, here is something huge that everyone can be about. Will you regularly pray for us? Like, will you be praying for God's mission and purpose for GREFC? And will you be praying for us as leaders as we keep checking in using spiritual wisdom and understanding, to be in, life with, be in line with God's will for us as a church? And would you be praying that our lives as individuals and as a church will be marked by these next four things that we're going to talk about? The four things that Paul prays for the Colossians. See, at the end of verse 10, in Paul's prayer, he gets really specific about what happens when we're filled with the knowledge of God's will where Christ is our identity, and that leads to a life that is delightful to God. And here are the last four blanks for your notes. This is up on the screen. When Christ is our identity, it produces a life of, and here's the four things, a life of fruitfulness, growth in the knowledge of God, spiritual strength, and joyful thanks to God. Now, let's just walk through some of these together. First, Paul prays specifically the Colossian, for the Colossians to have a life that is bearing fruit in every good work. In Paul's perspective, there's a lot of good things that the Colossians could be doing, 
But as one who is an example of an identity rooted in Christ, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit's wisdom and understanding, his desire is that they would be about good things that are in alignment with God's will. With the Holy Spirit in them, the Colossians, and through them, as they are doing these good works, they will bear fruit. And just a reminder, here's, here's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which the Spirit of God produces in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now, doing those same good works without a growing identity in Jesus, where he is above all, understand that that actually is fruitless. So let me ask a, a simple question here. What would happen if we were increasingly praying for spiritual fruitfulness as individuals and as a church? This is a what if. I, I want you to start dreaming. What if we were praying for this? What if this was more and more increasingly happening in our church? Okay, a couple more what ifs coming up. Here we go. The second specific thing that Paul prays for the Colossians is that they would be growing in the knowledge of God. This is a prayer for the Colossians to keep getting to know God himself. In other words, Paul's prayer isn't only for the Colossians to have a knowledge of God's will and his desires for, his, for their lives, but also that they would be continually growing and knowing the person behind those desires. Here's why. When you miss knowing God personally, most of what we're left with is legalism and rules. And the result is that we get a faulty picture of who God is, and it affects even how we really, what we really understand God's will to be. So this is one of the key questions that we keep coming back to from multiple different angles in the student ministries. And here's the question. Who is God? I could probably see some students' heads nodding in here. Okay. And here's why. Because our picture of God shapes our picture of a relationship with him. It shapes our understanding of his motives. And ultimately, our picture of what a life that delights him looks like. And this is why the Bible is so critical in our lives. Because without spending time in the Bible we get really confused and distorted pictures of who God is and what he's really like. But understand, this takes intentionality to read the Bible, to have people walking with you as you read the Bible. It takes asking questions, not only looking for God's will for our lives, but also learning to think and to learn about the God behind it all as we live life with him. Now, let me put out another question here, another what if. What could happen if we became known as a people who really knew God? Keep growing in this. What would happen if, this, if we were known as a church who really knows and loves God? And I'm not saying that that's not us. I'm saying what if that spread, that people knew that, that, kept, that keeps spreading? The third thing Let's, let's keep going. The third thing that Paul prays for the Colossians is that they would be strengthened according to God's glorious might. Paul is praying for the church and individuals to have spiritual strength. 
but it's also spiritual strength with a purpose. It's so that they may have great endurance and patience. Now, I read this, and it might seem a little bit like Paul is simply repeating himself by saying patience and endurance, right? But Paul's actually using both words for a purpose. See, when we think about it, the word endurance is often used to refer to circumstances. One way we might often hear that word used is in reference to somebody who is an endurance runner, right? They're a runner who can keep running for long distances even when doing so is hard. Okay, patience, on the other hand, patience is often used when talking about relationships with people, when relationships are difficult. Paul's prayer is for spiritual strength for all circumstances and all relationships. But here's where we have to go back to some of the other points. Remember that Paul's prayer has spiritual growth in mind. So this means that as an identity in Christ takes root in them, they'll, be growing, they'll have a growing strength that moves from a prayer to get, out of spiritual, to get out of circumstances and hard relationships to a place where there is a deepening trust and perspective that God will bring about something good in the midst of those hard circumstances and relationships. And understand, that may not be for us. That may actually be for somebody else. See, it's actually a spiritual strength that enables us to trust God fully and walk with him through hard circumstances and relationships. Now, in light of that, it's important for us to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church, what would happen if, what would happen if spiritual strength, our prayers for spiritual strength, not only included making it through those things, but also included prayers for those relationships and circumstances to be used to grow us and others spiritually. Okay, here's a final final thing that Paul's prays. That we would have a life of joyful thanks to God. Now, this one is huge. And to be honest, Paul points out a ton of things that we have to be thankful for. And we could probably have spent, I was even, when I was looking at the passage, I'm like, I could spend at least a week on each one of these things. So it would take a while to unpack them. But here they are. That God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people and that we have been rescued and brought into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son in whom we are redeemed and forgiven. Only God's kids are qualified to share in God's inheritance. Only slaves and captives can be freed and brought into a new kingdom as citizens. And it isn't just any kingdom. It's the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. See, our identities have changed because of who we are in Christ. We're no longer orphans, but we're God's kids. We're no longer slaves and captives to sin, but we're actually kingdom citizens. And I got to ask the question, is anybody else in this building super thankful for that? Because I got to say, even as we were getting lit, starting with the the song this morning, a living hope, I was reminded of Jesus is our living hope. It's something that we celebrate, we sing about, because it is 
that important, not only that important in our lives, but it is that true. And it's something that moves us to joyful thanks. See, there is no one better that we could belong to or want to be with than Jesus. And so here's the question for us all. Are we known as a people of joy and thanksgiving because of who we are in Christ? And if not, what would change if we were? What would change if we were? See, in a moment, we're going to celebrate and give thanks for our new identity that we have in Jesus as we take communion. And as the elders come forward, I want to invite us all to really take these questions home and talk about them together as families and as a church, as a church family. What would happen if fruitfulness and an increasing knowledge of God, spiritual strength, and joyful thanks to God became a regular part of our prayers for GREFC. And not just GREFC, but other churches in the area, or, or in our families, in our kids, and in our own lives. And I gotta say, like, I'm not just saying this. I'm, I'm applying this to my own life. How can I be praying about these things, keeping them in the, the forefront, in the front of my mind as we're praying for other people and ourselves. See, because here's the deal. I think God has a lot more in store for us than we might even imagine. However big we dream, I think God's got bigger dreams. So let's start praying and walking with God in his will for us all. I invite the, the elders to come forward. We're gonna move into a time of communion.